On this week's Pilot TV podcast, we're getting the absolute shit scared out of us in Sky Atlantic's new horror, Lovecraft Country. Trying to catch some crims with a pair of teenage bounty hunters in Netflix Teenage Bounty Hunters and taking a trip back into the universe of BBC's Famalan. I am not James Dyer. I'm Terry White, and I'm here to welcome you to the Pilot TV podcast. Our much-loved Bell End has abandoned us this week, which I think we can all agree is a devastating blow, because who will shout at us about reality TV, lecturers on hard sci-fi, and serenaders on the guitar with songs no one recognises. But we are going to struggle on without him, because joining me today is firstly the usual third wheel on our weird tricycle, TV's Boyd Hilton. Boyd Hilton, how do you feel about being the third wheel on our weird tricycle? I'm I'm excited about it, yeah. Uh, I'm excited that you're in charge, you've pressed record, um, it's all going well, the levels sound level to me. Levels, Um, we just shout levels at each other. Yeah, I'm excited, yeah. Do you feel like you've got to up the bellend quotas? A little bit, yeah, I might have to, yeah, I might have to do a uh, you know, yeah, launch a rewatch of Battlestar Galactica mid-podcast or something. <laughs> um, start talking about weird character names, pronouncing them, over-pronouncing weird character names oh. from obscure 90s fantasy series. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to try and step up. I'm going to try and step up. I miss him already, but I don't miss him that much because it is the triumphant return this week of Beth Webb, who is our third poddy. Poddy? Is that a thing? I'll take Poddy. it. Poddy Web. Poddy. And I will say Poddy Web. There are two <laughs> women on the Pilot TV podcast, and yet the world is still turning. What happened? <laughs> I know. Up is up, down is down. Look at it. Look at it. Let's go. <laughs> How are you, Beth? I'm so happy to be back. I'm very oh, much looking forward to us talking uncensored about comedy today. Like, I'm very, very excited. It's going to be a good one. I do feel like I am assuming the role of Bell End by. Uh, process of elimination but i'll i'll run with it you know yeah i think if, if we're all being honest with ourselves we've all got a bit of bellend <laughs> in us. right and if you add together our individual levels of bellend i reckon we then equal a james dyer just just yeah I'm he, sure he the bar. <laughs> my bellend calculators this that could well be the case i think i actually over index on bellend if i'm being perfectly <laughs> honest so beth have you got a guitar though I do. I used to actually teach kids guitar. Oh, my so, God. Um, oh, my yeah. God. What? Hang on. Do you have a guitar in that room you're sitting in right now? I don't want to answer, Terry, because I do. Oh, my God. You do. Is it in a oh cardboard box? Oh, my God. It's really out of tune, and I haven't played since I was about 17. But it was one of my lockdown. I've, as soon as I saw James pick up that guitar, I was like, oh, God, because that's what all the all the white men are doing in lockdown, isn't it? So they're going out and they're buying the guitars. And I was like, I've got a guitar. I can go back home. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, I haven't played it since I was about 18. But, yeah, I used to teach kids, so maybe I could set up a few lessons with James. Although I was going to say, maybe yeah. James could benefit from your tutor but so are you essentially refusing to fill james's musical slot this week <laughs> unless you want to hear some pop punk from the early noughties then yes yes <laughs> i mean yes, we're we up, we're up popping yeah. for pop, pop, yeah, pink. Totally. Pop, pink. pink pop pop pink from the pop, pop, pop. oh god oh. <laughs> so, on, so you can't play wish you were here by pink floyd as far as no. you know i can play wish you were here by incubus so i can play <gasps> the other <laughs> yes do that wow. we'll wait we'll wait yeah Off you we'll go. wait Oh my god, I can't believe I'm doing that. All right, hang on. 
Brilliant. <laughs> Did you know, by the way, Lenny James was on um, the Two Shot podcast this week. Yeah. Um, and he and he is one of those people who tried to wanted to learn guitar in lockdown. He said he said I'm I'm going to try to learn guitar, and then he kind of gave up after a few weeks. He was really enjoying it, and it was kept became a thing. And then he got he got kind of you know disheartened a bit, distracted by lockdown. I think he started up again. Anyway, oh my god, Beth there we go. Back. Beth is back with guitar. It's horribly out of tune, and now I'm terribly nervous. Because <laughs> okay, all right. Oh God, I was not prepared for this whatsoever. So, and don't be nervous. There are only like twenty thousand people. <laughs> oh, hands are shaking. This is horrible. This is what they must have felt like at Woodstock, right? Hang on. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> right. All right. Oh God. Okay. Um. <laughs> we can say I mean, it's already better than James. Yeah, it's already better it's than James. Yeah, heads and shoulders. Yeah, it's like being in a room with a professional. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> God, <laughs> James never got a round of applause. No, <sighs> no. Oh, and he looks down. Well that was, uh, and I'm already sitting down. Okay. And I presume you are available for lessons if James wanted to, you know, have some. <laughs> I mean, I've taught six-year-olds and I still don't think I've got the patience for him, but we'll give it, <laughs> we'll give it a go. A bit of stairway to heaven. Right. Are you recovered? Yes. What have we been watching this week, Boyd? Well, um, you sent me, uh, you tweeted to me earlier in the week about how, um, I think it was Vulture had done a ranking yeah. of Seinfeld, or Seinfeld episodes 169. Of course, that sent me into uh, off into a checking their list and disagreeing violently with some of it, agreeing with other ends of it, and and just re-watching Seinfeld, basically. This is my equivalent of James's re-watching Battlestar Galactic every six months or whatever he does, or Game of Thrones. So I do kind of have been watching it regularly every year, you know, since it went out in the 90s, I suppose. Um, but what it reminded me of, there was one episode in particular they ranked very highly in number 11, which was the Merv Griffin show. And I re-watched the episode. So in the last season, a lot of Seinfeld fans... Um, say that the last season wasn't as good as the others because this is when um, Larry David had left the show and um, it was kind of winding down. A lot of people say, oh, you know, it became it became a comparative with its own self. But the, the, this episode, The Merv Griffin Show, which is number 11 in the in the Vulture list, is absolutely incredible. And the, and the, um, the story, the main storyline is, is that Kramer stumbles upon a disused set of The Merv Griffin Show, a classic sh- American chat show, in a, in a dump. And he brings it back and he sets it up in his apartment and he transforms his apartment into a chat show set of the Merv Griffin show. And he brings on Jerry and Elaine and the others. And, and he, he basically turns his life into a living chat show. And it's surreal and bizarre. And they don't understand what the fuck's going on. He has cue cards and he starts interviewing them about in their lives. And it becomes this almost like Truman Show style thing about what is the blurred, blurred lines between reality and fiction and someone telling themselves that what they're doing is actually being filmed, recorded, even though it's not. It is insanely brilliant. And that my main rediscovery of the week was how brilliant that episode of Seinfeld was it's on all four and by the way so it's on all of Seinfeld is on all four which is great but what weird it's another thing that struck annoying thing about it is if you watch all four via Sky like so on Sky Q they've got you know all four and everything you can't get Seinfeld you have to have the app on your TV or phone or whatever separately and go and via the all four app and I've no idea why so like some things 
just on the All Four app. This is a this is a kind of slightly you know slightly esoteric point, but it is fucking <laughs> annoying that you have to why? go and because because it's just easier for everything to be there via no, Skype. No, 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 no. Oh, why isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. Irritating. I understand I'm, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know why, and so I'd be fascinated if anyone does know why. Why certain things are only on the All Four app on your TV and not in the Sky version. I'd be fascinated to know. So if anyone can tell me, please do. And what did you think of the list overall, Boyd? I thought this was fine. What was interesting about it was, I think, number one, the the contest, absolutely, which is the famous masturbation um, episode, is is, is the best episode, absolutely. What I would say about the list is, what's interesting is, is that there's a lot of very um, politically driven um, stuff in it. So any stuff... Bearing in mind the show went out in the nineties, any stuff that the the writers of the list considered to be sexist, homophobic, etc., they 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 commented upon it, and I think they actually went to the point where they slightly misunderstood a lot of the some of the episodes, trying to be overly, in my opinion, politically correct. So there's an episode where called the outing, where a college student interviews Jerry and thinks that Jerry and George are an item, are, are boyfriends. And it's I think it's a fucking brilliant episode, but they rank it really lowly because they think it's like, you know, gay panic. And they think, but mm. for me, it's just, that's a simple misinterpretation of the episode. I think the episode is absolutely all about how George particularly um, can't deal with the fact that he might be gay. And I think it's done, re- I think it's an re- absolute classic episode. It's brilliant. So I think they are on the side of, of caution and worrying about coming across uh, and kind of advocating stuff that is that is politically wrong, but I think I think they need to um, have a word with themselves about that. But generally, I think the list is pretty good. Well, we've talked about that before, right? And but is there any yeah. way, really, if you're if you're reckoning with a TV shows through the lens of um, 2020? Yeah, is there is there a way to do that without taking those things into account? I think it's fine to take them into account. And I think we've talked to, yeah, we've talked about how Friends that has a lot of, you know, young mm. young viewers of Friends particularly, like, look at, the, there are, um, the, it, the problematic word comes up. So, yeah, there are problematic elements of Seinfeld. But I think what was brilliant about it was it did, it, it dealt head on with is, issues of race. There's an episode where they don't, they don't know the race of one of the characters that Ghislaine's going out with someone. She doesn't know whether he's black, white, whatever. And I think that, again, I thought that was a brilliant way of dealing with, it, de- it dealt with stuff head on. Rather than mm. kind of, and I think actually it's probably better at dealing with this stuff than Friends is itself, much as I love Friends. Mm. But I, I, I think you have to, you can say the stuff's problematic without then necessarily saying, oh, this is in quotes a homophobic or, you know, or racist yeah. episode. I don't think they were particularly. Okay. Oh, else? Or we, or did you just rewatch Seinfeld for the 7,532 seconds? I did get into a Seinfeld uh, wormhole, but two things quickly. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Iraq, the last episode went out last week, which I mentioned before, and, and all the episodes are incredible. They're all on iPlay. It is one of the greatest uh, documentary series of recent times, I think, um, just interviewing normal people and the effect the Iraq war had on them. And the fifth, the final episode, which deals with the aftermath and the, the, the growth of ISIS and all of that. And it, it's it's terrifying what happened um, after mm. the Iraq War years, years later. And one other quick thing, quickly, um, there's a Matt Berry short series called Squeamish About, which is basically Matt Berry being really silly over ludicrous old footage of random stuff. And it's hilarious. And it's on BBC Two. And it's only 15 minutes long, this episode. And it's brilliant. Lovely. Bethy. Yes, I um, I think I've watched some of those Matt Berries where they're even like, yeah. is it the ones where he's talking over wildlife and um, yes, yes, archive exactly, footage yeah. of like, yeah, it's batshit. I love him. He's got it's a real di- direct like link to my funny bone. He just he makes me laugh so much. 
Um, interesting point you were saying about the apps because I so I've obviously not been on in a while, and lockdown has like given me lots of opportunities to like watch stuff for the first time. One, and I feel like I'll probably get kicked off for saying this, but I haven't watched The Sopranos before, so this was the first time of me going and watching Sopranos. <sighs> I was saving it for retirement because I was like, I'm going to sit back and enjoy this, but I was like, you know what? No, this is my time. And um, we tried watching it on Sky, and you have to go through all of the S's to get to it. You can't just do a search option because I think they want you to go on and get the app or pay for the app. So it was like a really mm-hmm. annoying, if we're getting into interfaces, that was yeah, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my argument for it. So yeah, so That's I watched weird. the first uh, episode of Sopranos. <gasps> Could you imagine, if, imagine if I was like, hated it, terrible, worst oh show my ever God. Um, James would magically appear from wherever he's sat right now um, and uh, guitar you out of the room. But, um, what, what was it like watching? Because we, we watched it, I think we all watched it at the time yeah. kind of when it went out. What was it like experiencing that first episode now, completely fresh? I can't even imagine it. It was, it was funny. I was laughing because it's quite badly made. Like... The dubbing, mm. some of the outside scenes, the dubbing is terrible. So it was really funny to watch it and be like, oh, that's quite bad. Obviously, I adored it. Obviously, I can't wait to see what happens. I'm like fascinated by the therapist and see what kind of happens with her. I'm more interested in the female characters, obviously. Um, but yeah, I just loved that some of it. I was like, oh, that's that's really bad. They haven't got the money behind it yet. So it was just really funny to see that for the first time. But um, adored it, adored the bowling shirts. I might start investing in bowling shirts now, just wearing those. <laughs> Kramer obviously has great bowling shirts as well. Um, <laughs> but I loved it. Obviously, I loved it. I can't wait to... I just know it's such a daunting thing because there's so much of it. It's the same reason why I haven't watched The Wire. So um, I'll have to get to that. That's interesting what you're saying about the mm. the the, the um, production value of it because you're ab- I, I found this well, I often stumble across it and I think oh I'll have a quick watch of an episode and the difference between the season one and the season five six episodes is yeah. incredible mm-hmm. in terms of the filmmaking and the production etc yeah that's 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 interesting yeah but what a treat and but do you know what's what's interesting there are those shows but I don't think it's always a given that you're going to love them as much as everybody else because mm. I have this with the wire right so I and it's such a thing because. Every guy I've ever met romantically, whenever they found out I don't, I haven't seen The Wire, they get this big saviour complex. I'm going to save this girl's soul by making her watch The Wire. Um, and um, I've gone through it with two separate boyfriends who basically tried to get me to watch it. And I was like, you know, I've tried it already. It's not really for me. No, no, watch it with me. You know, you'll see, you'll see. Um and I still can't, I think I've only got as far as the fourth episode and everyone said, it will just get through the first couple and you'll love it. Like, I don't know what it is. I can't, like, I hit a wall on that fourth episode every time and I can't get past it. And then I'm like, there's so much fucking amazing telly in the world. Why am I trying to force myself to like something? Because loads of people, especially men, think that this is genius. Yeah. This is exactly it. This is why I'm just going to wait. I'm going to, you know, just spend my, my final years with it, I think. Just see myself out to the wire. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I just got to the stage now, and some of my, my good female friends adore it as well. And I, if anything, I watch things through peer pressure, so I was like, well, i watch it yeah. now, really. Um, so that was one thing. Um, I had to do lots of research on Ben Mendelsohn recently, so I started watching The Outsider, um, and I'm two episodes into that and absolutely love it. Um, I think that's one of the best Stephen King adaptations I've seen for a while. But God, that came out soon. Did they even read the book before that started getting made? Because that's no time at all between the two. Um, so that was one. Really enjoyed that. Um, and then I'm rewatching Buffy for about the 50 millionth time. So oh. I'm like, 
I'm on season five. I've, I hate Riley. I hate him so much. But um, worst, worst. <laughs> he's the worst. And then Joyce is starting to get headaches, so I'm starting to like oh. emotionally build myself up for what's coming there. Are you waiting for the <laughs> Can I make a confession here? Which I don't think I've ever. Say you've never to. seen Buffet. No, I've seen it, but I've certainly only seen a handful of episodes. <gasps> yeah, I've never Why made this confession on this podcast. Well, you couldn't reject Boy Does Buffet. New segment, yeah. Boy yeah. Does Buffet. Yeah. No, Buffy is my Sopranos, really. Buffy is your like. How can you have a blind spot of Buffy? You know what it is. You know, it's not. It's nothing to do. I'm not. I have nothing against it at all. And the episodes I've watched were great and everything. But it just ha- it, it was a timing thing. Buffy arrived, and um, I think I was in college and university, and then I was also in America. I just didn't really have. I wasn't watching that much TV at that point in my life, and and so loads of TV happened, and I didn't really. And I think that's it. Literally started when I wasn't. I didn't barely had a TV, you know, yeah. I was like sharing a room with some American doofus. And so I, it just didn't make any impact on me. So because I missed it when it started, uh, I never really had time to go back. So I just, I've never, I've never done Buffy. Properly. Oh, do it. Oh my I God, I, I would love you to do it. And oh, I'll try. Why don't I choose, why don't I choose yeah. one cracking yeah. episode yeah, do, and yeah. then you watch it for next week. And if you yeah. like it, you'll do a, a full watch. Sure. Is that a deal? Yeah. Okay. Um, yep. Totally. And it's like I think it is time. Do you know what? Because um, peak Buffy was my end of A levels um, and into university time. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I was I got my first boyfriend, and you're finding your place in the world. I mean, all of those reasons we all fall in love with those shows when we're teenagers, and we'll be probably talking about this a little bit more with um, uh, some bounty hunters later. Uh, but. Yeah, it was. It really reminds me of that time. But what is amazing, actually, is how well and James and I bang on about this a lot, as you know, which is how well it's actually held up. Um, mm. And you can still see the influences today, and I'm sure we will talk about that later. Um, so yes, I will choose an episode. I'm going to send it to you. I th- I've, I've, cool. There's a couple. Yeah. I think you know the body might be one actually because it's <gasps> so skillfully done. But you know, I always like an an Angelus and Buffy kind of climax episode not like that well kind of like that there is that <laughs> anyway i will think about it and i will send that to you and you Good. can fill it next yep. week okay. Okay. um so what i've been watching uh i was actually staying with my in-laws this week which means no control over the remote control which makes me anxious but what it did mean is that i ended up watching something i may not have watched otherwise which was the yorkshire job center which is hmm. this um reality show sorry james on channel hmm. four now, this is brilliant, and it's actually a series. Um, and I was trying to think what it reminds me of, because it's not a one-off doc, which, you know, here's a handful of people, here are their kind of quite tragic stories. Each has a mini arc and a mini resolution. It's a series, so it's it's unsurprising. If it's something which is just called the Yorkshire Job Centre, which is pretty to the point, it's got an incredible lack of um, sentimentality, an incredible kind of lack of none of the stories are really sensationalised or it's it's brilliant. And it's a really simple um, story, which is there's a job centre in Leeds. I think it was 6,000 people, no, 600 people every day come into that job centre when they need help with finding a job or benefits or whatever it is. And it's about the, the women um, who work there predominantly who help these people 
um, their kind of practicality, their empathy. Um, but it's really, and I think Lucy Mangan in The Guardian described it as clear-eyed, and that's the best description I can think of because you have these brilliant local people trying to help these other local people. Most people do want to work. Some people don't, but most people are desperate for work. Really kind of ordinary stories. Um, you know, a widow who's been out of work for years and desperate for a job in a supermarket. And it, they're really small stories in some respects, but they're really, really beautifully told and there isn't any sense of trying to exploit either the people in the job centre and make them out to be kind of the villains or the people who are job seeking. I just thought it was really balanced and um, really soft and really quiet. And, you know, it's class. It's you can tell it's been done by Channel 4, basically. But if anybody fancies a bit of that, that is on all four. Um, and I think he's dropping weekly as well. So that's that. Are we all done for what we've been watching? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Let's go to a listener question, which is a very good one this week. James normally chooses a question which he types out and then he has to send four more WhatsApp messages explaining what he perceives the question to mean, while Boyd and I perceive the question to mean something entirely different. Thankfully, um, I got a very straightforward question this week, which comes from Carl Frederick Frieden. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce your surname. Sorry if I mangled that. Who tweeted me and asked, with Fresh Prince getting a drama reboot, which other 80s or 90s sitcoms would you pick for that treatment? So this is the frankly amazing story of um, a super fan made a little video of a drama version of Fresh Prince and... It got kind of uh, picked up, went on YouTube, went viral. Will Smith saw it, got involved. I think Morgan Cooper um, is the guy who's actually now been taken on to co-write the script, um, direct and be credited as EP. And it is going to be a drama series called, I think, Just um, Bel Air. So that's, I mean, what an incredible way, right, for that to actually come into life. Um, And this is a great question. So Boydie Sitcom King... Do you want to kick? Well, off? did he say eighties and nineties? I didn't even read that bit. Um, did, so we, we can have any. I think yeah, that's. I've, I've got a seventies one in there, but what I think why why I think the, this idea works so well is because of course, Freshmen of Bel Air has a has kind of you know looks at racism and has that theme to it. You know, has a kind of interesting yeah. social element to it of a young, young black kid being brought up in this posh white family the whole idea of it has a resonance that i think when as soon as he d- did make that dramatic version of it, 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 it so i've tried to go for shows that might have some kind of social resonance to them so i first of all the thick of it the yeah. um the armando Inucci political comedy i mean a succession kind of is a little bit in terms of um uh is kind of the drama version in a way of the think of it, albeit with the emphasis on uh, a media empire rather than politics, but there's pol- political element to it. So I'd like to see a succession style, hour long drama based on contemporary British politics. Um, taking, yeah, it's like a razor sharp, satirical, dramatic writing about the fucked up world we're living in right now, where, you know, I mean, where students are having their lives ruined by yeah. the A level results. It, being used in a in a grotesque way that news story that happened yesterday every week there's another yeah. thing that happens in the world of politics. yeah that that is shocking and i want to see a drama dealing with that so that's my first idea second idea was i thought maybe you could have are you being served the 70s sitcom set yeah. in the department store you could do a kind of kennel loach style social realist tv drama 
um, based on, you know, what is it really like working in retail in this day and age in the kind of post-COVID era? You know, it's it's struggling, it's difficult. All the tra- all, all the traumas and difficulties of, of working in that environment I'd like to see addressed in a TV drama. And finally, absolutely fabulous. I'd like to see these two <laughs> incredible women, like a really powerful look at what they really have to put up with and what they've what they're driven to by yeah. the modern world in a kind of razor sharp drama. And I have to say, slight slight spoiler, I hate Susie, which we may well be reviewing next week, is a little bit like that. Ooh. Which is like Philly Piper. Yeah. Oh. But it is interesting, yeah. right? At which point do the things which are funny um in a sitcom, if you treat them seriously, would it make it kind of yeah. uh, unbearably dull almost? Because if Patsy, <laughs> right? Patsy's like, oh, why yeah. is she an alcoholic? What's wrong with her? Because I was thinking there are some sitcoms that you just wouldn't want. Like, imagine a dr- just a drama version of Friends. Which, yeah, I mean, right, exactly. Yeah, no. something, right? But it's bo- yeah. like, boring. <laughs> it was like, 30-something, yeah. Who cares? Um, I had some of yours, but I also had, because um, I thought, like you, the best bits of Fresh Prince were the really resonant print were about the issues of race, about um, fatherhood. So obviously there's the whole thing with him searching for his real dad and mm. having that connection with his Uncle Phil. Um, and so I was thinking about Roseanne, from a class perspective, mm. obviously that's massively about, I mean, problematic these days as well, but massively about class um, and uh, marriage. And then I was thinking about Blossom, which obviously on the surface of it, which I loved and was obsessed with, is a, a story of a kind of a privileged um, uh, white girl, but they're a Jewish family and her mum died. And it was very much about her finding a place in the world as a single parent family. Um, so I think that one, could really work. Bessie, did you have any that we haven't mentioned? Well, you've said friends couldn't really friends in <laughs> friends <laughs> might be boring, but what I've done, I've done two because I thought, well, I'm glad that Boyd missed the 80s, 90s, because I thought he'd have this one. But the first one I've done is a Phoebe Buffet origin story. Because if you oh think, could you imagine homeless, mother killed herself, estranged father, yeah. lived in a lived in a skip. Real mother still alive, gave birth mm. to her mother's triplets. That's yeah. Brilliant. Oh yeah, that's, that's drama. Yeah, yeah that, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. That's genius. And then it'll be Ryan Murphy yeah, to do it so as that well. Way, yeah. High, high style, like oh. you know, kind of over the top. Yeah, yeah. Visual, visual. Fest. It just feels unfair that this isn't being made now. And then who could play it? I'll come back to that because I, I haven't thought about yeah. being a player, but someone amazing could play it. And then Seinfeld, but the storyline where Kramer is assumed to be a serial killer, like a really <laughs> yeah. noirish, yeah. Um, yeah. like beautifully framed, true detective style version oh, God, of, yeah. of Kramer yeah. being uh, an assumed serial killer. So those were my two. Amazing. Very yeah. good. Very good indeed. Right. Um, thank you so much for your question. And if you have a great question, like the one from Carl Frederick Freedom, please do tweet us at Pilot TV Pod or James underscore Dyer, because he will be back next week choosing the question that nobody knows the answer to because they can't work out the question. <laughs> we look forward to it, James. Well, now on to this week's news. Shall we start with one Mr. Martin Scorsese and his new Apple deal. Yeah. So we don't know too much about this yet, right? Apart from um, he's done a first look exclusivity deal with um, Apple TV Plus, 
well, just Apple TV, right? And it's going to move between movies and TV series is what we seem to know so far. Obviously, in terms of the, the our world, our cinema world, should we say, is very split between people who are supporting streaming services and filmmakers who... Um, who don't and are much more comfortable within the traditional studio system. I think obviously Scorsese has made his position known in the past with The Irishman, which he did exclusively with Netflix and got in theatres. So this appears to be kind of a continuation of that, which I think, you know, he's spoken about it. I think he finds um, a lot of financial support. His ideas are, are well known for being incredibly ambitious, especially from a technical perspective. Uh, obviously, there's a, there are long shoots as well, and also a creative freedom. I think quite a few filmmakers, certainly in in Empire, we've often spoken to them about the freedom they feel to be able to create something really in their vision, which. Martin Scorsese did exactly that with um, the Irishman. So, what do we think about about this? Well, I think it's a big statement, isn't it, by Apple? It's like yeah. they've gone out, they've gone well. Netflix have got. Ryan Murphy or whoever, and, yeah. you know, Amazon Prime have got Phoebe Waller-Bridge, for example. So it feels like, right, we have to go out and get the biggest film director in the world to, he's at, we can, we can, it's, it's almost like a kind of branding exercise to some extent. Mm. But, and yeah, it's brilliantly exciting because he's going to get to do stuff. Now, I'm interested because he, his documentaries, you know, I'm a big fan of his, yeah. being an old rock dude, his documentaries about Bob Dylan and George Harrison um, have been incredible, really. And I know that he's he's supposed to be doing, and one of the things is one of the most interesting projects um, on TV, he's supposed to be doing this SCTV documentary. You know about this year? SCTV, Second City TV, was the Canadian sketch comedy show that John Candy was in, Eugene Levy, um, Rick Moranis, Catherine O'Hara, Harold Ramis, Martin Short, who's my, who I think is the funniest person in the world. They all started yeah. out in Second City Television. And Martin Scorsese apparently was obsessed with it. And, and he's doing a documentary about those people, which is so unlikely, like, because he's brilliant. But they are, you know, kind of broad, show-busy comedians. And it is, and it's, you know, it's it's like him doing a, I don't know, a sketch, a show about um, The Far Show or something. You know, it's a little yeah. bit like that. So, um, I, so presumably that project, for example, um, might end up being on a TV Plus. So, yeah, I think it's really exciting. And, of course... The film Killers of the Flower. I mean, that's going to be on. Apple. That's yeah. an Apple TV production, isn't it? And they've they've financed the 180 million budget or whatever it's for that. So, I mean, Apple has has more money than anyone in the world. So he'll get as much money as he needs to do whatever the fuck he wants. I I, I don't see any downside particularly. Are people going to no. watch it? Like, are people watching Apple TV from a complete? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> that's the question, yeah. right? Because um, there's I think there's. There's been a lot of, and we've talked about this on the pod a lot, a lot of conversation around the volume of content. You know, you've got people moan about Netflix and Amazon and say, God, there are so many things on there and there are too many things. But I think we're so not used to a platform with a very, very curated, limited number of, of shows. So I think when it comes to people signing up, some just anecdotally, some of the kind of complaints I've heard is, well, not yet, not until they've got an amazing back catalogue as well that you can dive into um so and you know and people i think are now going okay which one do i give up one to get apple and you know a lot of people signed up to disney plus for the mandalorian specifically which is also coming back from season two so i think it's it's hard right because we know scorsese's 
going to be there for a while doing multiple projects. Is that knowledge enough to make somebody then decide to take out a subscription or is it actually that people do it like they did for The Mandalorian, which is they do it in response to a specific moment? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's been, it's been interesting to see what happens with that film, isn't it? whether they do a Netflix thing and whether it gets a cinematic, I mean, who knows what, cinema, what yeah. cinema versus TV will look like by then anyway. I mean, yeah, the whole world's changing, isn't it? Scary. Yeah, but, you've got hope. but you know, I just and as you said, all the they've all it's almost like they've all gone right. Let's let's get a who's the biggest director in the mm. world? Oh, Scorsese's mm. with Queeby, so you know, like, and then obviously <laughs> when when you get Scorsese, you more often than not get De Niro and you know, yeah, yeah, and, DiCaprio, and, yeah, DiCaprio, yeah. his whole circle. Um, but yeah, it's it's I think it's people juggling all those services in their mind and working out what's the thing that's what's the deal breaker maker that's going to actually get them um, to sign up. But they haven't released any, have they released any actual figures, Boydie, in terms of subscriptions? No, I don't think they have. No, and I, I think it's uh, I, there was an article recently pointing out that um, Hamilton had was the most watched mm. thing on any streaming service, like twice as many people watched it than anything on Netflix they were saying and they were kind of saying that Apple TV was well down the ranking that basically Disney Plus has been a huge success as far as I can make out in terms of yeah. um, very quickly building a, a large number of um, subscribers whereas Apple TV Plus hasn't and I, I don't think Apple care that much by the way I think it's a bit like no. you know this is like you know in the scheme of things when they're making billions hundreds of billions of dollars out of hardware iPhones their yeah. TV offering is definitely in its very early stages, and the library is almost not is non-existent pretty much. Whereas yeah. Disney's got everything in its in its library, so it's no surprise. It would be weird if Apple TV was doing much better than it is. I think really. Mm. Um, a bit of uh, casting news for the Crown seasons five and six. We have ourselves a Prince Philip, who is Jonathan Price, who I just think is fucking incredible yeah. in everything. Um, and you know, he obviously doesn't look the most like Prince Philip. Um, but he, I think he's one of our most incredible actors, and I think he will be brilliant because he'll be obviously playing opposite Imelda Staunton. I just think he'll be absolutely incredible. Mm. What a cast! They just keep, yeah, they, it's airtight that cast, isn't it? They just keep getting better yeah. and better. Um, but yeah, that's very exciting. Yeah, it couldn't be, it couldn't, it couldn't be better, really. He's brilliant. I want to mention the. This is a multi tentacled story for me because. Uh, so, the exciting thing is that we're going to see Luca Guadagnino's first TV series, We Are Who We Are. Um, you know, the director of um, Call Me By Your Name, the uh, I think terrible Suspiria remake, but loads of good stuff as well. And one of the most interesting, certainly one of the most interesting provocative filmmakers in the world. And he's got this eight part limited series, which is an HBO Sky co production, right? And so the, the reason why the, the two prongs to this story first of all, BBC Three has acquired it. So it's going to be on BBC Three, I'm guessing shortly it, this autumn, shortly after it goes out on HBO in the States. But the big question, so that's brilliant and exciting. The cast includes Chloe Savigny, Alice Brugger, Jack Dylan Grazer, um, uh, uh, Kid Coody, um, all these people. Francesca Scorsese's in it. Um, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be fascinating, right? And it's about um, two young teenagers um, whose parents are in the army and so they live in Italy and it and it's, looks at kind of their lives. Incredibly exciting. But why the fuck isn't Sky showing it? So I don't know of any, I can't think, I was trying to wrap my brains as to any other HBO show. So they have this deal with HBO where pretty much every single thing that's on HBO is aired here on Sky Atlantic. 
and Now TV. But for some reason, this isn't. This one isn't. This is going to BBC Three. I mean, brilliant for the BBC to nab it. And I've I asked. So I emailed um, someone at Sky saying, "Can I just double check? Are you definitely not airing." this show as well as BBC. Maybe you're putting it out first, then the BBC will have second rights or eventually you... And they're like, no, we're not showing it. <laughs> no, wow. That's really odd. It's so weird. weird. And yeah. can I check, Lloydie? It's BBC yeah. Three. So BBC Three went to a, an online channel, right? Yeah, yeah. Is it still an online channel? Yeah, but effectively everything that's... that's yeah, so BBC Three is effectively a bit of the iPlayer now. So you go to the yeah. iPlayer and you find its stuff. So when we're reviewing, um, with the show reviewing later, Family Lamb, that'll be all on BBC, on the iPlayer somewhere under the BBC banner. But they do also put everything out on BBC One or BBC Two. So this will affect... I imagine what will happen with this is it'll be on iPlayer via BBC and then it'll also be on BBC One or BBC Two a couple of days later. So that's 10 to, that's ten to what happens with their acquisitions. Right. But it's still weird and insane that Sky are just not showing it. And I know it's a co-production. It's Sky Italia, but it's still all owned by the same yeah. fucking people. It's no, so Sky odd. Italia normally goes to Sky Atlantic, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course, yeah. That's not yeah, very weird. Any more for any more? I've got uh, West Country Royalty, uh, the Coopers are making a new show, or have just written a new Ooh. show. A bit, they're barely saying anything, but um, Daisy May Cooper was on a podcast and said that they finished writing a period comedy, which is super exciting. Um, wow. And that I think she said they're able, they've been able to kind of coin some famous people into being in it, which, considering... did we Now, did we ever find out who the A-lister cameo was in the last season? Because someone played the grand, didn't they? And they never found out who it was. No. And I think about it most weeks. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Forget about that. We did. Do you remember? And no. they've never said, they've never let up. Boy, can you get in there? Can you infiltrate and try and find out yes. who, who it was? Yes, I, I must find out. I think about it yeah, most weeks. Good point. So yeah, the yeah. keepers are going uh, going period, which I'm super excited about. Um, and I put the Mayor Rudolph's going back to SNL, which I'm obviously... I think yeah. obviously I adore I adore Mary Duff so much. So she's coming back as uh, Kamada Harris um, for Saturday Night Live, which can only be a, a really really fucking good thing. So uh, that's it. That's it for me. We got to do the. If James was here, he would do the um, Star Wars Holiday Special Lego oh, thing. <laughs> um, okay, let's uh, for James. Do you want to do the bit of? Uh, Boring Star Wars news. Yeah, yeah. Basically, they're doing on Disney Plus. Um, they're doing a, um, a Lego style um, one-off holiday special. And famously, so the Star Wars holiday special, which went out when the first um, Star Wars films went out, was famously disastrous, embarrassing, kind of showbizy spin on Star Wars. I loved for it. A, um, like, well, I mean, of course, it was legendary. Yeah, legendary. Um, so I think the idea of this is brilliantly is to go out um, around Thanksgiving, um, November 17th, in fact, um, and this will be in the Lego style of the Lego movie, etc., um, kind of taking the piss to some extent out of the legacy of that original Star Wars Holiday special, but in Lego form. But I think they're going to have all the characters set, set off the events of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Ray leaves her friends to prepare for Life Day. She box upon a new adventure with BB-8. So, I mean, it's going to... Star Wars completed, so are going to have to watch it. Um, yeah. So it's a kind of weird mangling of all those different elements. Beth, are you excited? <laughs> I am very excited. I, I will say, if you've not seen the Christmas, the holiday special, it's it's all on YouTube and it's worth a watch. It's yeah. just wonderful camp 
fun and a complete disaster like a complete <laughs> disaster it's brilliant i'd love to know what james thought of it um in what way what was it because it's disaster. a variety show they've got carrie fisher singing lyrics to the star wars theme song harrison ford just looks fume he's furious to be there he's not <laughs> by the end of it he's not even trying and then if you do i i actually spoke to the last living writer i think of it about it and and just oh wow uh, the, it was like Wookiees passing out on set because they couldn't get out of the costumes and it was like unventilated. People just dropped out. George Lucas won't have anything to do with it. Like he just refuses to be associated with it whatsoever. But you watch it. It's just, it's just really good camp holiday fun. It's just like, I'm sure for people at the time, because it was between the two films before Empire Strikes Back, people, I think people were really devastated, like really devastated by it. And yeah. I bet James was one of them. So I'd love to know what he thought. <laughs> yes, sure he was. He will be very pleased. James, that will be you. <laughs> Hope you appreciate it. <laughs> right. Are we done with news? Time to review? Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. What a trio of shows we have for you this week. First up this week, we have Lovecraft Country, a new American horror series adapted by Misha Green from a 2016 novel and with the glittering array of grade A exec producers, including Jordan Peele and J.J. Abrams. Lovecraft Country follows veteran Atticus Freeman, played by Jonathan Majors, who travels across America with a friend and his uncle in search of his missing father and encounters, well, a whole lot more than that. Boydie, did you love Lovecraft Country? Mostly I did, yes. Um, and I think it's safe to say this is one of the most highly anticipated um shows mm. of the year really um that as you say though those exec producers jj abrams um jordan peele it's actually created by misha green um who uh is a black american woman who's best known for a, a, a historical drama series called underground that, as far as i'm aware has not been screened anywhere by in a by british channel but it's supposed to be a brilliant two season show um about um a slave rebellion slaves escaping using the underground railroad and um, she created that show wrote most of it and apparently it's fantastic but we get to see it over here um it's adapted from a novel uh, by Matt Ruff that came out in 2016. And the novel, I was looking into it, I haven't read it myself, but I was looking into it, and it's kind of got a kind of a mixture of of, of through story, ongoing story, and very being very episodic, almost like short stories brought together with the same characters. And the this TV, and this version of it, this 10-part um, uh, TV drama version of it, is ha has the element to it. So you're introduced to the characters in episode one, um, and the main driver of the plot is John Atticus, played by Jonathan Majors. His dad, who has always had a, a, a kind, always been a, to some extent an absent father, and his main father figure in life figure in his life is his uncle, played by Courtney B. Vance. His dad disappears, and his last scene of him is he was in the back of a bar, and he went off in the car with some young blonde guy, and that's the last we saw of him. At the same time. Um, the family lives in Chicago and is dealing with r everyday racism in the 1950s in America where you could literally turn the corner in your neighborhood, you'd be in the wrong neighborhood, you'd be into the white neighborhood and you'd be physically attacked by police, by the citizens, by the locals or whatever, and where the whole country had areas where black people could and couldn't go, um, known as the Jim Crow America, and it deals with that issue head on. 
So it's got this kind of mix of social realism and high fantasy horror. And the very first scene in this series is an extraordinary festival of monsters and creatures attacking Jonathan Major's character. And it kind of and and it and it keeps it up from there. So it's got this, it's like on the one hand, it's this incredible recreation of this very interesting time in America where racism was at to some extent at its absolute height and it was in life daily life was unbelievably difficult for black americans and at the same time it's got this idea the reason it's called lovecraft country is because the main this main character in fact two of the two of the main, a lot of the main characters are really into hp lovecraft style fantasy horror comics and stories and novels and that's their their kind of escape from their crushing reality is into those that world that kind of genre so it takes that idea and builds this extraordinary extraordinarily rich fascinating funny weird horrific um fascinating uh tv drama in which these three in which him his best mate his kind of lifelong best mate letitia played by journey smollett who's incredible and his uncle go off in their car and try and track down the dad that's the kind of starting off point but from then on it spins off into all kinds of different genres of horror so one episode is like a haunted house episode there's another episode that's like about cults different cults and it deals and plays with time and um almost like drug-induced hallucinatory elements to it now i have to say so i have to say i i the first episode i thought was brilliant and stunning and was beautifully made brilliantly acted and i thought the action horror set pieces were unflinchingly brilliant i love the fact that it really ratchets up the horror and the gore and the blood to the max and it, so it's brilliantly entertaining on one level it's like a really pulpy entertaining no holds barred horror fest for horror fans and and yet that backdrop means it has incredible resonance as well for what's going up now in america then but the each episode is very very different so you then get the second episode which is a slightly i felt like a kind of almost like camp um quality to it where the these kind of aryan this aryan special sect um, in this huge mansion somewhere where perhaps um, the main guy's dad is and might or might be, be being kept in the basement, who knows? And that has a totally different tone of quality to it, to the first episode. Then you get the Haunted House episode, can be different. The episode four is like Raiders of the Lost Ark with a bit of like horror in the end. And then, but then episode five. So they've sent us five episodes and I've watched all five. Episode five is the killer episode. So I was thinking, I'm really loving it but I'm not sure if it's really as amazing, as brilliant as I want it to be, because I really want it to But then episode five, oh my God, is one of the most incredible, extraordinary TV episodes you will see. And is so relentlessly pervert. It's a body horror episode. It's it's where the character played by the British actress, Wanmi Masaku, comes into focus. She's called Ruby. She's Letty's half-sister. And the incredible all i would say is it's kind of about what would might happen if, if a black person ended up in a white person's body if that you know was that and and it's that's not a spoiler that is the base of the episode but it's so thought-provoking disgusting brilliantly done there's stuff in that episode honestly the like of which you've never seen on tv and i loved it and so now i can't wait to see the rest of it i think it is extraordinary i think there are because each episode is so different i think people will have people like well i love that episode i'm not sure about that but that's fair enough that's just in the bold conception of this series but i think it is incredible i think and and i now can't wait to see the rest of it 
Bessie, do you agree? You're nodding? Yes, wholeheartedly. Um, I think we need to talk about the casting because I mm. think it's some of the finest casting that I've seen in ages. I mean, this is this is a completely new sector of television, I think. I love that they've given so much money to this black-centric horror genre show, like Mrs. Maisel type money has just been tried to it and you can really yeah. see it in the production as you said boy these big beautiful set pieces um but this cast is absolutely peerless especially given kind of everything that they have to kind of handle there's the racial subtones action they have to handle as well horror there's emotional trauma in there literal body switching so there's just so much that they have to kind of go with and they just every hurdle they have they clear so we've got jonathan majors as you says as atticus uh he was in a film called the last black man in san francisco which if you haven't seen definitely seek out and he was also in spike lee's um the five bloods as well so i think he's he's going on to great things and he's a wonderful wonderful leading man in this can also wear the hell out of a pair of trousers like i've never <laughs> seen someone wear trousers like this man and then journey smollett as well as letty who we've seen in a i'm trying to think what else i've seen her in true blood she was in but a lot of um Friday Night Lights I think she kind of came up through as well so she's had a really extensive TV background but then in this gets to do she does a lot of the saving which I'm pleased to see she's always the one that bites the bullet and has to run and get the thing swim and get the thing just like let them be men and go on and get the thing done so that's always really incredible to see and then as you say, Wanmi Misaku who gets the best storyline I think in this fifth episode it is horrific like, I'm not good with this stuff. So there is a part with the shape-shifting where someone's face literally slides down someone's back. Um, and I had to sit down with an episode of Gilmore Girls after that and just do some, like, heavy breathing. Um, <laughs> but I adored it. I, I've got Raiders of, Raiders of the Last Night written down as well. So there's some really yeah. fun levels of horror there as well that has a real kind of Spielberg feel to it as well. Um, in the first episode, it really knows how to invoke dread. There's a car sequence you can't even call it a car chase but there's a horror sequence involving a car in a sundown town i.e when the sun goes down it's every black man for himself basically um that just had me on the edge of my seat um great directors as well they've got um cheryl danyan who did the watermelon woman we've got yonder manch who i love he was uh, in the running for bond and didn't get through to it in the end which is a shame but he did a, a fantastic episode of this um i'm rambling now but it's all good brilliant yeah. excellent horrifying stuff i will say like i'm not unseeing anything and i'm glad you gave me that heads up with the fifth episode boy because i needed it <laughs> so yeah big fan I mean, yeah i mean it, for me it, it was kind of magical realism through through the lens of spielberg and it was so unexpected in so many ways you know and it isn't it isn't necessarily new to be showing modern day horrors through a period setting or using fantasy or even sci-fi to explore those things. But it's done in such a bold, audacious and ambitious way. And the two sit really easily together because it, it could have kind of moved between these, as Boyd says, this very detailed social realism to these moments of high fantasy 
and in um, the wrong pair of hands, that could have been a really difficult transition. But it's not. You're kind of when this, and I don't want to say too much to be too specific, but when a massive thing appears that would never normally appear, it, it isn't that shocking in some respects because this world is so richly created. I second you on Journey Smollett, who was the by far the best thing in Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. She was outstanding in that film. She is remarkable. She is so magnetic, so likable. Um, they allow her, as you say, to have agency and to have the power without it being done in a really clumsy way. Um, and she is remarkable, as is Courtney B. Vance, who plays the uncle. And it took me a little bit longer um, with Jonathan Majors, but I think that's because there was the character is revealed um, gradually and these layers come away and that's part of the the storytelling, really. And I second you on Black Man in San Francisco, last Black Man in San Francisco. If you haven't seen it, please do. Um, and, it, you know, there are, there are big, heavy truths told here in a really deft way. You know, people are as dangerous and terrifying as monsters. A white supremacist cop with a gun is, is as terrifying as something completely otherworldly. Um there's adventure, there's action. It's just full throttle from the beginning. And as you say, the opening set piece, as a statement of intent of yeah. this is what you watch for the next hour and nine minutes or whatever that first episode is, I was like, holy shit, I need to put everything down. Like, you know, James yeah. would say, oh, I didn't even look at my phone once during watching this, which is obviously, <laughs> as we know, his highest, uh, his highest praise. Yeah, I just think this is incredible. Um and I think it might split some people um, because I think it, it, if you're a proper sci-fi fantasy geek um, or you're really into your social realism, I think it does both brilliantly. Yeah. For me, that's where it does really nail magical realism, which I think magical realism is a really hard thing to pull off. But I think the way those two things are both committed to completely, the fear you f- you feel in in everyday experiences of racism they face, as well as in in the moments when their lives are at stake because of something that isn't human, those that that pacing of your dread, and as as you said, Beth, it's like you're on literally on the edge of the couch for the entire thing. It's superbly superbly made television. Um, and I think it will stand up for the rest of the year. And I think, you know, when people sit with it and watch the entire thing, I think they it will be seen as one of the best things to come out of TV this year and certainly one of the most inventive and innovative. Yeah. We loved it, didn't we? A rave. We did. A rave. 100%. So, it's also really good fun. I mean, yeah, it's just yeah, brilliant it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know... Uh, I, I have seen a couple of negative reviews. I, I do, I, and I'm like, I, I, I mean, if you, I just think, you know, what the fuck is wrong with you? If you, if yeah. you can't embrace this, you know, yeah. I mean, what do you want? For this one? Want. Yeah. Like, I, uh, what yeah. more do you motherfucking want? Yeah. yeah. It is incredible. And yes, we loved Lovecraft's country. It starts on Monday the 17th, Sky Atlantic at 9 p.m. Next, we have the new Netflix teen comedy drama following twin sisters and Christian high school students played by Angelica Bet Fellini and Maddie Phillips who accidentally become bounty hunters while trying to juggle the everyday nightmares of being a teenager. A show, incidentally, that was originally called Slutty Teenage Bounty Hunters. Beth does Teenage Bounty Hunters Not Slutty 
join the canon of exceptionally good teen shows? <laughs> pause. Pause now. <laughs> now, I think it's worth saying that the bar for teenage shows, especially on Netflix, is incredibly high. The bar for teenage shows now, full stop, is incredibly high. I've never seen anything like it. I wish we had a lot of these shows growing up. This, I... I'm not sure is one of those shows, which isn't necessarily to say that it's a bad show. It's just not up there with you, Euphoria's. It's not up there with your end of the fucking worlds. It's, as you say, white Christian sisters who are navigating through their virginity in a way that they're both very open about it. And I'm, I'm all for women talking about sexuality, young women talking about their sexuality. But then they get accidentally caught up in a in a bounty hunt, decide that their strengths as well-connected white Christian women are worth money. And then they join forces with a with a seasoned bounty hunter called Bowser, who's played by Kadeem Hardison. Um, and then they start to for some reason go along on these on these missions with him. It, it, I'm two episodes in, so they're hour-long episodes, and I've watched the first two episodes, and I have no idea where it's going. I have no idea where they're going with this. It's um, it's funny, and I like the... Um, so there's a real bond between the two sisters. There's a really clever kind of um, telekinesis they have between each other where they kind of pause the scene, turn to each other, and have this dialogue with each other, which is fun and pithy and pacey. Um, I just... I don't know where it's going to land. And I feel like two episodes in, I should know where this is going to go. So mm. I'm sort of backing out here by saying that at the moment, as I say, teen movies, the caliber of teen movies at the moment is is so high. The budgets are so high. Mm. The writing's so sharp. I'm just not sure if this is up to that standard as of yet. No, and weirdly to me, it felt like it had more in common with the teen shows of old than it does the new shows so it felt more like Buffy um, or Veronica Mars and particularly around the dialogue and the kind of you know back and forward and the pacing of it it weirdly reminded me of those but didn't feel to me to share much DNA with the current crop of teenage shows which are all incredibly innovative doing entirely new things and so it made it feel for me weirdly dated and I couldn't kind of get over that and they have um, Maddie Phillips and Angelica Bettfellini they have a really nice I mean obviously look nothing like each other but because you know they're not twins but they have this really lovely rhythm and chemistry and as you say this kind of uh, telekinesis thing was a nice touch um, but and they, they, I think they're trying to say things occasionally so you know there is a whole point that as young white privileged girls they can get places as bounty hunters um, that Bowser can't, for example. But it doesn't really do much to interrogate that or subvert it, really. And and they start to kind of edge around some interesting stuff with um, one of them seen as the bad girl, one of them seen as um, the good girl, but it's the good girl who maybe actually is the one with a greater sexual appetite. And they, they, they're edging around things which could be interesting, but then they... I feel like they just kind of fall away and, and aren't really taken anywhere. And it's the balance, I suppose, between you've got your bouncy hunter escapades, which is the thing that would make it feel properly episodic. And then you've got just being a normal teenager, sex and boys and parents and rivalries. And that's what those things have always balanced, which is Buffy slaying vampires one minute and then trying to work out if, you know, um, if that fallout with Willow was serious and if Angel's ever going to become Angelus again, 
on the other hand, it's it's mon- mundane teenage life versus this extraordinary position they've been put in. And kind of, I'm not sure really about the balance here and whether it's pulling off both of them. It just feels unnecessary in terms of there are so many brilliant shows and where this sits, does it do anything as well or as or better or different to those other ones? I can't say it does. Boydie, where do you sit on it? I, yeah, it is. I I kind of, I'm with both of you really, like, you know, there are elements of it that I really like. I mean, really, it feels like the pitch for this was kind of, um, you know, teen, Buffyish, teen, sophisticated um, dramedy. I hate that word, but nevertheless, meets Midnight Run. You know, with with, mm. the, with a bounty hunting element to the point where in the first episode, right? There's a there's a there's a, when when you when they first get into the bounty hunting uh, by accident, the soundtrack, the music, and the framing. I honestly, I think it was definitely a tribute to Midnight Run. Um, because it really, <laughs> r- really felt like it. Um, and it's one of my favorite films. It's a fucking masterpiece. One of the greatest um, comedies of all time. And it's got this buddy thing going on between the twins as well, which is a- an element of it. And then when they meet the the actual bounty hunter, I like. I, so I like that kind of friendship between them and him. I like the the kind of. I like the interrogation of the Christian, this Christian right wing world. And I think there's that those scenes are funny and kind of I felt like almost authentic and real and yet it's so preposterous and yeah. barely can even it can't it can barely be bothered to justify or make real this idea that they become bounty hunters it, it's almost like oh do we have to like you know I always <laughs> like the straining of the writing to like try and make this work and then and then I watched the first and then I watched the second it's clearly going to be like a bounty hunt of the week format you know, mm. and I'm like, oh, really? You know, they're going to have to come up with it in, in this you know, fairly small town, conservative environment. It just doesn't make any sense. But I did enjoy it. And there's, you know, when in the middle of the first episode, suddenly someone says, calls them cunts. I'm like, oh, OK. This is, <laughs> yeah, know, this is, that was a shock. Yeah, that was a shock. You know, we're not in Buffy anymore or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I'm like, it's clearly it's got that kind of edgy Netflixy teen. We can do what the fuck we want kind of thing which i which i'm fully embrace um it's from people who worked on you know on just the new black genji cones except yeah. it's got so it kind of it's got great production made such but yeah it's not quite working and i think it's because in the end it might just have worked better with these characters this idea of these twins and their world and the conservative religious people they're dealing with and i'm not sure if the bounty hunting is adding much to it really to be honest mm-hmm. i think that it's like the whole conception of it is slightly flawed i feel yeah, because right, think about because the thing about something like Buffy, right, is and Charmed. I talk about this all the time with Charmed, is that because of who they are, because of the lineage they were born into, they have assumed a birthright that they will have to carry for the rest of their lives. That is about their destiny and their part in the world, and they can't run away from that. They can't walk away from that. It's the burden of that. Of, of having the world on your shoulders, literally, whilst at the same time dealing with silly teenage things, which don't feel silly because you're a teenager. With this, they're just accidental bounty hunters. You know, Buffy yeah. knew without her, the world would yeah. end. Jeopardy yeah. was massive, right? That And yeah. that's what makes the magic because the, the gap between those two things is so great. And yet here, they just in a very implausible um, uh, situation became bounty hunters accidentally uh, recognized their own privilege and why that may help um, 
and then become bounty. It's which presumably, if you don't want to be a bounty hunter anymore, you just stop being a bounty hunter. Do you know what I mean? There's no, <laughs> yeah, there's no real yeah. sense of jeopardy and stakes because they just basically took on this rather weird part-time job. <laughs> yeah, there is. They try and deal with that by having this kind of. Um, case one of the people involved there has a there's a personal connection to right so that yeah. so that is established and that's going to be the the through line of it the arc the main story arc. but it's not enough I, it's not en- and funnily enough it's weirdly the whole thing you're expecting there to be more of a supernatural element to it and mm. um, as beth said there is this twins communicating thing but that seems that's that's all and it's almost yeah. like we're led to believe you know like all twins can communicate with each other can't they in this way don't, don't they? They're like, well, no. I mean, you know, people say they yeah. can. But I'm not sure if that's really true. And then, and you expect that to be the starting off point to have more supernatural stuff. But I don't think that's ever that's ever going to be the case. So it feels like a show that could have been a supernatural thing and isn't. Fair enough. We've got a lot of those. And yeah. so instead, is being a bounty hunting, thriller, adventure, comedy drama thing. And I don't think that is ever going to work. I feel. No. Yeah. Right. So mixed. <laughs> Mixed feelings for that one. Mixed feelings. Mm. So you can watch Teenage Bounty Hunters. No slutty. What did... Hang on, we haven't addressed this, actually. What what happened with the slutty? So it was originally going to be called yeah. Slutty Teenage Bounty Hunters. And then what happened? I, I, from what I've, I think they just all decided it wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> I think they were from <laughs> Netflix. You know, I think they were like, well, you know, I, I don't think we need to draw everyone's attention to using that word i think it'll be fine we'll get enough that's my the sense i get yeah they just thought okay. better of the idea great i i would concur with that netflix well done for losing the slutty <laughs> so if you uh, if that does sound like your cup of tea you could watch buffy which is infinitely better or you can watch teenage bounty hunters as it is streaming now on netflix Finally, this week, we have the third series of BBC BAFTA-winning comedy sketch show, Famalam. Now, we don't often review returning series, but we didn't review this for the second series, did we, Boydie? Um, And I think we all thought that this is something we could do because it is, and I'm just going to jump in right there with a spoiler, which is it is funny as all fuck, isn't it, Boyd? Yeah, it's almost like this is a show that I felt we probably felt we couldn't do with James here because he can't. Yeah. I mean, he can't cope with comedy, let alone a sketch comedy. You know, I think it's yeah. probably even le- less of his thing. And just generally, I feel like his brain would have exploded um, at the whole idea <laughs> of this thing. But let's but let's remember. I also think it's, the timing is good. So they're putting this new series out. Um, all the episodes are on BBC Three just after Bemisola Ikemelo, we mentioned recently, won a BAFTA for her own yeah. um, short. But she is a main customer. She was nominated in the BAFTAs for Best Female in a Comedy, quite rightly. Samson Kayo has been nominated as well, who's in the ensemble. Yeah. Um, the, the ensemble is incredible. John McMillan, um, who I've always loved. He was in Chewing Gum. He was the Christian boyfriend in Chewing Gum and was so brilliant. He can do anything. Mm-hmm. He is properly comedian-like. So he plays like heavy rap guys. He plays Christian people. It's, it's incredible how good he is in it. Um, Vivian Achimpong is in it, who's in The Aliens. Tom Mucci from The Hustle. And, and uh, Danielle Vitalis, who's in I May Destroy You. So it's got this incredible cast of black British um, talent um, and the whole idea of it is it's 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 kind of it's a no holds barred brilliantly confident we are going to address full on um, racism or the kind of the, all the different worlds of black, black British experience um, and it's done that from the start but 
more importantly than anything, it's really funny. And I think, so the first sketch in this new series basically revolves around the idea of hipster white people's obsession with avocado, right? Now, first of all, let me, let me, let me come clean. I fucking hate avocado. I think <laughs> so do I. Oh, yeah. my God. It, it, I can't disgusting. bear it. Yeah, I can't bear it. What the fuck? That texture. Always, uh, the texture, uh, a green, a green mulchy thing that you can't buy anything like in Pret or that hasn't fucking got avocado in it these days. Um, it, and so this whole idea of the opening sketches, they've got this um, white avocado dealer. Like it's like using avocado as like cocaine is used in Narcos mm-hmm. or, you know, crystal meth is used in Breaking Bad. It's a brilliant idea. Um, and it's brilliantly directed and executed as like a kind of, you know, like a Scarface-style shootout involving fucking avocado. And I thought it sums up what's brilliant about this show. It does address kind of, you know, pop culture um, and um, the, the the interesting things that are going on in the world and the divisions between, you know, the stuff that white people like. And, and pompous morons are going to go, you know, talk about, you know, racism against white people. It's, it's fuck that. It's just talking about the interesting cultural differences that do exist between white people and black people. And that's, and, but other, so I think that first sketch is a fucking classic. I think it's up there, you know, with, I'm talking like four candles in, in um, the two Ronnies. So, you know, very up-to-date modern excuse for the kids there. <laughs> yeah, example for the kids. Um, and the, um, are we the bad guys? Remember the Michelin web sketch? Oh, about I love that. The it's, yeah, exactly. It's, for me, it's such a brilliant idea. And I'd really love to know who wrote each sketch because I don't know whether they all write it yeah. together, mm. but it's such a brilliant so it started off brilliantly, and then I thought it kept up. I thought the quality, you know, the thing that people say about sketch shows is that, you know, obviously some sketches are funny and others, but I thought actually the quality all the way through, there's one where two gay guys are coming out to their aunts that was hilarious. Um, it's it's um, There's one about um, interracial adverts that I thought was such a brilliant mm-hmm. idea, you know, when they where companies use uh, black and white couples to kind of, you know, sell their product in the most transparent way. It just, the ideas are great. And the performances are brilliant. And I thought it was really well made and well put together on, I'm assuming, a pretty low BBC3 mm. budget. So I think it's a try. Was it, was it this? I, what, I ended up going down a massive rabbit hole and mm. watching loads. Was it, was it this episode that had the um, Willie Honker? Yes. The Wonka. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. There was a bit. And he's, so just to explain, they found a golden ticket. Um, he's called Willie Honker. <laughs> and he, he basically takes them to a work, an M- a world of assimilation where they can enjoy all the things white people do. And he sings pure assimilation to the tune of pure imagination. <laughs> and it is so brilliant. And he, he rhymes assimilation with avoid incarceration. And it's just, I mean, I was absolutely in stitches because they're, they're, they're such kind of some of them are like really high concept some of them um are much less so but they are consistently so brilliant and so well observed because as with all of these things right it's all in the detail of the observation and it's just i think i've ended up seeing like nine or ten episodes now because i just loved it and as you say that ensemble are just incredible and they're and they all are doing incredible things other things at the bbc or whatever um and i completely see why i know it won a bafta craft nomination for um samson for male performance but i can totally see why gem solar was nominated as well like she's incredible and what she's doing and we talked about her short before on the pod i just think this is 
incredible. And it's in the proper tradition of those BBC sketch shows, go, you know, going back decades, which is just the finest comedic group working currently coming together and doing something. I mean, so many of them were brilliant ideas. The real prince who is a, you know, sending those emails, begging for bank transfers, who is actually a real prince sat on an elephant, some gold bars next to him. It's just so incredibly observed. Oh, Mm. Beth. I mean, I can't follow that really other to say, and this is by no means to undercut any of it, but I've just, I've, it's so fucking silly. It's so silly. Mm. I, I, it's wonderfully observed. But the fact that it's able to take these dense, naughty observations, you know, the the reference that you made, Boyd, about the couple coming out to the aunties, you know, homophobia is, is very deeply embedded in older generations. And, you know, it's when they say that they're vegans, that they're, they're cast out of the house in just, you know, and they're like throwing their hands to the heavens. Like, it's so silly, but in such a wonderfully... It's BBC silliness, but through like a black lens. Mm. And I, I really, really, really enjoy that. Um, I love the um, recurring sketches as well. So we've got Midsummer Motherfucking Murders, which is Samson oh my God. at his, at his love peak. That. We've got the Stratford Soldiers versus the E19 Posse, which is the, you know, the phone recorded threats to each other, which, you know, a very, very, very real thing that happens, but they're able to turn that into um, almost like public service announcements where they end up going back and forth about climate change or how to respect women. Um, you know, one of them, like they buy an electric car off the back of the back and forth about how, you know, dire circumstances we're in at the moment, but all through the guise of like a handhold iPhone recorded message. It's, oh, it's genius, isn't it? I, I hope this gets a really oh. long run or at the very least, this is the platform for them to go on to even more incredible projects between them because... Yeah, silly, but with such good sense behind it. Like, I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. There's such craft here. I think that's what mm. you can see. Because I think, as Boyd said, I doing a consistently good sketch show in that tradition is incredibly hard for each and every sketch. And as you say, to have ones that link and are the continuing returning ones and then other ones that aren't and have enough continuity and consistency of material, the craft that takes that is clearly on display here is just fucking mind-blowing. If you would also like to fall down a rabbit hole like I did and neglect your child, then (laughs) it is all on BBC iPlayer. Season three has been added on Sunday the 23rd. Each episode will then go out the next day on BBC One at 10.45pm. Do not miss it. But Famalam isn't the only other thing out this week, Boyd, right? What else do we have? Yeah, I want to mention a couple of other things. Um, the Sunday, the next Sunday, um, the same day that Famalam comes out on iPlayer, on BBC Two, uh, this Mortimer and Whitehouse Gone Fishing, the new series starts, mm. and this has become a phenomenon. I absolutely love it, and I watched the first episode of the series, and it's fucking brilliant. It's Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse, as as the title suggests, hanging out and fishing, and it's adorable and wonderful. And and then straight after that is Harry Hill's new show, which is Harry Hill's World of TV, which is the the show that's going to be most similar to TV Burp. It's a kind of using clips of classic TV, and he's going to um, look at how how genres of TV uh, are built and the kind of different tropes within um, you know medical dramas, thrillers, etc. It's going to be absolutely hilarious, I think, if you're a Harry Hill fan. Obviously, these are shows, those are both shows that James would be frowning at furiously. <laughs> Less so is the new, I believe, fifth season of Lucifer starts well, on Friday on Netflix. 
And I think if you're a Lucifer fan, I think all I'd say is I think our next week's show is going to be quite a big deal, I think. So we're going to deal with Lucifer in full then, is all I would say. Yes, and next week is also pilot's 100th episode can you believe it i don't think we look a day Um, over 102 no incredible (laughs) i think think we all look great i can't believe it's been 100 100 episodes so yes as boyd says there may be a special surprise or two so please do make sure you join us next week pick of the week this week oh it's got to be lovecraft for me lovecraft Lovecraft yeah lovecraft country yeah Lovecraft country, it is. Watch it, watch it, watch it. Right. We got time for a banshee? It's always time for a banshee. It's always time for a banshee. Um, Bessie, do you want to start? Sure. Um, No, I I always come through with quite a modern one, and I feel like I'm cheating somewhat, but I went down a Maya Rudolph, um, Maya Rudolph rabbit hole myself this week after the SNL news came out because I adore her. And something that really irked me for ages is that she's one of the only SNL alumni who hasn't really had a standalone project. We've had Amy Poehler with Parks and Rec. We've had Tina Fey and 30 Rock. I was like, where is my Rudolph standalone? And we actually got it two years ago and it didn't take off in the way that I hoped it would, but it's a show called Forever. And it's on Amazon Prime. All of it's on Amazon Prime. It's from Matt Hubbard and Alan Yang, who both have done a lot of writing and producing on things like 30 Rock and Parts and Rec and The Good Place. And it's uh, Maya Rudolph, Fred Armisen and Catherine Keener. But I have to cheat here because I can't really talk about what it's about. I've got to be one of those annoying people that's like, oh, you just have to watch it. But honestly, the premise... Basically, is is Mary Rudolph and Fred Armisen. They're a happily married couple, and then something happens at the end of the first episode that sends it just spiraling off into something else, and then it goes off in another direction. But like, you will not see where the show is going, and it's not a straight up comedy. It's a lot more existential, but it's really fucking good. And I wish it had got more of a fanfare when it come out, but I just don't think it mm. ticks the same boxes as the other as the other shows do. So that's my banshee for today. And where can people watch that best? That's all on Amazon Prime. All on Amazon Prime. Boydie, what have you got? Uh, I've got, um, I'm indebted to Andy Shaw on Twitter, who is at Pentroll, I think. He's not a troll, don't worry. He's, he's, he's a okay. nice guy. He mentioned Halt and Catch Fire, which I wanted to yeah, endorse. And I had to check. I, I was sure we'd, we'd, we'd covered it, but I checked um, the, the secret file that um, one of our listeners sent us with all the banshees we've ever... In fact, every mention of every TV show we've ever mentioned is on that, oh, is on wow. that list. And it wasn't there. So, yeah. So I was surprised myself that Halt and Catch Fire... I think probably we've mentioned it passing before as a show that is was undervalued and underappreciated. But it went on for four mm. seasons um, and between 2014 and 2017 on AMC. It was basically like the tech version of a Breaking Bad or a Mad Men. And it was like a fictionalized look back at the kind of Apple, IBM, Microsoft period. Um, and, it, and it kind of featured Lee Pace um, and uh, Scoot McNary and Mackenzie Davis were the main characters, computer engineers and programmers. And it kind of took that idea and ran with it. And it, there is, it has a quality of a kind of like, you know, egomaniac dudes trying to run the world um, to some extent and, it, and kind of satirizes that quite well. And at the same time, it's got really interesting kind of fictionalized versions of what happened when you're kind of, when, when, when you know, Apple started and when, and then it goes on by the fourth season, it's talking about web browser wars and stuff like that. And yeah. I, it's, it's very nerdy and geeky and it is, 
But it was always quite excitingly done. It was always kind of brilliantly filmed and brilliantly made. And it managed to turn a lot of that kind of very nerdy tech stuff into the stuff of kind of a really good TV conspiracy thriller almost. So I thought it was really good. And that's also all on Amazon Prime, as far as I'm aware. You can watch the whole thing. And I must apologize. I wanted to say, because I last week I, I, I banshed Rubicon. And I think encouraged by James, James, I, I blame James for this, but he's not here to defend himself. But I said, oh, Rubicon, we're all like, yeah, Rubicon was brilliant. And James said, oh, and, and it's all on Netflix. And I kind of went, yeah, yeah, it's all on Netflix without really checking or knowing if it was. And of course, it's not on Netflix at all. And in fact, Rubicon, you can't get hold of it anywhere. It's fucking difficult. Oh, no. So I, yeah, it's barely even out on DVD. I don't know how anyone can, if anyone can find it on any, it's not on any viewing platform as far as I can make out. It's on American iTunes. I know that. Um, but it's hard to get hold of, so apologies for doing a banshee last week that you literally can't see. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, right. And this week, I kind of wish... I was saving this for James because um, uh, I this would get the biggest eye roll of them all. I want to banshee the Grimleys. Yes. Which I don't think we've done before, have we, Boydie? I don't think so, no. So so this has got all of the things James likes, a counsellor to hate, a working-class family. Um, so this is, as we all know, it's kind of a quite a traditional um, comedy drama set on a council estate in Dudley in the West Midlands, set in the 1970s, essentially all takes place at home and in the kids' schools. It has an incredible array of uh, British telly talent, I think we can call them, um, including, just let me add a full list, you've got Amanda Holden, Nigel Planer, um, Noddy Holder as a music teacher, which is like nuts. Um, you've got, did I say Brian Connolly? Because he's in it as well, isn't he? It's mm. just like an incredible lineup of classic TV. Yeah, Jack D was in the pilot and then Brian Connolly was the PE teacher, classic, one of the TV classic sadistic awful PE teachers like everybody has when they go to school in this country. Um, And it was essentially, you know, a story of their family, but also all of those undercurrents of social realism. So it was written by Jed Mercurio, who, you know, take that alongside bodies, you know, and it's obviously there's a lot about um, the NHS um, and the state the NHS is in. So I really like this. I totally forgot about this. And my um, boyfriend reminded me of it the other night. And there's something really comforting um, and and warm about this, even when it kind of does start to hint at the darker sides of, of that time in, um, in British social history. But James would detest every minute of the show with everything in his body. So what else I'm going to do, I'm, I've given you a Buffy episode, Boyd, or yeah. I will do. Yeah. I'm going to email James and get him to watch a Grimleys for next week. Oh, good idea, yeah. But you kind of buried the lead there because you were explaining and you, the fact that Jed Mercurio wrote it. But should that, I mean, James is a big fan of Jed, so I know. that might swing it. But it is extraordinary. That might swing it. Yeah, this was a huge, and it was a quite big, it was, it was a big massive, mainstream ITV show, yeah. It was one of the best yeah. ITV sitcoms ever, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there yeah. aren't that many ITV sitcoms, but yeah. And I but believe it's, it's on BritBox, um, so... If you have Brit flop, bit flop. Brit flop. If you have, if you have Brit flop, which by the way does happen to everybody, uh. it isn't a big deal. Um, then you can watch, oh, you can watch the Grimleys, and James Dyer will tell us what he thinks about it all next week. 
That is it for the Pilot TV podcast this week. I am not going to end by reading out an iTunes review that calls me and James a dick um, and says how lovely Boyd is, because quite frankly, that's what my Saturday afternoons are for. Um, but if you did want to leave us a five-star review, particularly for the incredible return of our lovely Beth, then that would be lovely, and you know where to leave those reviews. Um, next week, we'll be back. James will be back, presumably with a new song to play us that nobody knows um if you do have any questions for next week's show please do tweet at pilot tv pod or us directly i am at terry underscore white boyd is at boyd hilson and james is at james c dyer that is it for this week pilot out Mm -hmm.